Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Jesse Lee Humphrey Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Blow. Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than what I want. I, I'm going to go over really quickly what this podcast is going to be about. Uh, so let's just jump right into that. Uh, this podcast is mainly going to focus on design, whether that be in video games, which will be the primary focus, at least at first, or if it's something in film uh, or television or just any artistic medium where design plays a part. Uh, and most artistic mediums require some level of design. Um, so that'll be that'll be mostly what, what I'm talking about here. I may go off on tangents on other stuff, or there may be some episodes that I dedicate to, to you know, something that may not fit the mold, but it's primarily going to be talking about video games and game design, and more specifically, looking at specific video games and assessing them, which you'll get to hear a bit more about in the next episode. Uh, which I will be doing on The Witness, which I just got done streaming. Well, I didn't finish streaming it because I haven't finished the game. Uh, but I just streamed it for, I think, about a week straight and just ran through it and got the majority of the puzzles. Uh, I think there are a lot of things that I didn't finish in that game. Uh, but that's what I'll talk about in the next episode. Um, so, you know, I may rant about other stuff as well. Uh, we'll just kind of see where it goes. Uh, one of the things I do want to do is uh, get anybody who's listening to participate. You know, send me an email or send me a DM on Twitter. Ask me a question or suggest a game to, to talk about and I guess sort of review. I guess it is kind of like a review podcast, uh, but it's delving a little bit more into the, into the weeds uh, than just a strict up or down review. So that's what the podcast is going to be about. Um... And yeah, I, I, you know, I've been thinking about doing this for a um, couple of weeks, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that. I wanted to do a podcast with uh, my partner at Symphonic Entertainment, Bailey. Uh, I wanted to get with him and, you know, we would talk about basically the subject. And I also wanted to get a friend of mine, Mark, um, who doesn't work with us, but, but who is, is a game uh, designer as well. Wanted to get him on the podcast, but I don't think that's something we'll be able to work out in, in a, you know, with, with any level of frequency. And we were talking about that a couple months ago. So goodness knows if, if they'll ever get a chance to be on the podcast, I'd love to have guests on. Um, I do want to get like indie titles because uh, I'm fascinated by the way that indie developers do game design. Not because I think it's right or wrong, it's just, it's always interesting because sometimes these, sometimes uh, these de the developers have, you know, formal training, they went to a college, they have a degree in comp sci, um, stuff like that, but they don't, they don't necessarily have like any sort of training in strict up or down game design. So it's always interesting seeing what games people like that tend to create. Uh, there's a ton of, I don't know if anybody is in the uh, indie dev, uh, there's, a, there's a series of indie dev groups on Facebook, and some, some of the people who end up listening to this podcast may be coming from that group, um, but there are just folks there that, 
that you you look at their game and you go, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like you're putting all of these elements together, but but they're not coherent. This this one is a bit of a waste. You can get away with this in a triple A, but you know, like there's what's a good example? I'll give you an example of, of, of design done right in indie gaming, and that's Journey. I'll probably dedicate a, a whole podcast to talking about Journey. Actually, I don't know if I will. It's a pretty short game, and there isn't a whole lot to talk about, which is if I have to do if I have an episode and I can talk about three games, it's because those three games are so well designed that there isn't a whole lot to talk about, or maybe they're just really short. But for Journey, like um, look at how look at how simple the journey is. You, you have one button press to uh, communicate with anyone you might stumble across. That button press is basically how you not only interact with other players, but it's also how you interact with the world. So that's covered in one function. That's what we call modularity, okay? That one function serves to at least two purposes. Um, and as we find out later, it actually serves a, a third purpose. So you can interact with the environment, but then you can also interact with like those those ribbons that are flying around and they, you know, that uh, that call sort of lights them up and brings them to you and they'll, and they'll carry you. And then you can also use it to communicate with anybody who jumps into the game, uh, who you connect with, and you'll be able to communicate with them through that. So one button serves three different purposes. It's your general interaction button. That's the kind of design that indie teams have to do in order to make budget and in order to have an impact on players and make their, their games easily playable. But then you have games that are very much not like that. I can't think of great examples offhand. Um, and, and I don't really want to just go out of my way to trash an indie title for like no reason. That would be kind of shitty. <laughs> uh, oh, excuse me. So, let me think of it. You know what? Let me go find an example. Just bear with us for a second. Indie game developers. There's going to be somebody in here that's making some sort of... Basically, I'll tell you what. If you ever run into an idea guy, those are typically the people that don't design games well. Because... Their ideas aren't founded in anything reasonable. They're founded in lofty goals that they don't understand how difficult it is to put those things out. And they don't understand that the indie platform is not the place to bring those ideas. You bring those to a AAA developer, but they'll probably just laugh you out of the room because it'll be obvious that you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so basically, if you see indie games that attempt to do things like World of Warcraft, and, and this, is a, this is a joke among a lot of uh, developers and, and designers, where like, you know, you'll start out trying to design a very simple concept, and you'll end up making an MMO. You know, it's, just, it's, it's so natural for most developers to try to just put as much into a game as they possibly can without necessarily thinking about, well, is this all going to be useful? Like, are we going to get the chance to use this all? Um, and AAA games can kind of afford to... Like, if you look at uh, Grand Theft Auto V, there is so much that's in that game, but Rockstar is basically just supporting that game, so they 
First of all, they're a AAA developer. They've got a ridiculous amount of money. They have a shit ton of money. By the way, there's going to be profanity on this podcast, so if you're not cool with that, you might want to stop listening now. Um, they they have a they have an un, they have a sacrilegious amount of money, and I think they burned like 280 million, maybe it was 250 million on Grand Theft Auto V, and it's so detailed, and there's so much in that game, and. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, you know that's a, that's an instance where, like, if an indie developer tried to do everything that uh, Rockstar did with that game, I'd laugh at them because it took Rockstar two hundred fifty million dollars to do that, and this this game campaign it, it crowdfunded and got eighty thousand, and you think you're going to do that? No, you're not going to like it's not going to you're not going to get it done in a reasonable amount of time at that level of quality, visual or otherwise, uh, and nobody's ever going to be dedicated enough to that idea to, to do it for as long as it needs to be done without you paying them, uh, which is the, the trap that indie games fall into. So often, these ideas are loftier than the ability of even the most dedicated team members to carry it out. We've dealt with that a lot at Symphonic Entertainment, where... We have ideas. We're in the middle of a, a, a down point right now where, where, where no work is getting done. And no work has been done for, I think, two or three months. Um, so if any developer... I can't believe I've only been doing this nine minutes and I've talked about basically everything I would talk about in a podcast. This is going to be very difficult. <laughs> um, okay, what was I looking for here? was looking for a good example of somebody who is designing themselves into a corner. I shouldn't have to scroll too far. I'm not sure. I can usually tell that they've outdesigned themselves just by looking at the UI. When you've got, when you're, if you're an indie developer and you have an interface that requires more than six items, like you have, you have more than six things to try to keep track of for that player, you're designing too much. I don't, I mean, I'm kind of just tossing that number out there. Um, But the more crowded your UI, usually the the more you're sort of designing yourself into a corner and you're going to need money to get out of that corner and if you had money you wouldn't be an indie dev you would be a, a AAA developer um, a great example of that actually I just thought of a great example would be and I'm going to have an episode dedicated to this game because I hate the way it released No Man's Sky that's right. No Man's Sky is a perfect example of how you design yourself into a corner um, and how that informs the way that you contact, not the way that you contact, I guess, the, 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 the player base, but the way that you engage with the, the player base. Look at, go back, if you're listening to this podcast, I want you to go back and look at all the press releases and the viral marketing that surrounded No Man's Sky. Look at how hyped up that game was, okay? It was so hyped that it, it broke into the, into the mainstream. It was on sort of like a Minecraft level of awareness 
uh, for, for a short time. Now, if you walk up to an old person and you say, no man's sky, they're not going to know what you're talking about because it didn't have that staying power. But if you walked up to them and said, Minecraft, they would know what you're talking about, right? The point I'm making is that it had that level of virality, okay? The design of that game is unbelievably lofty. It wants a limitless universe uh, with, with new planets at, at every star. So, I mean... Okay, so randomly generated planets. This is hardly new technology, right? So not only are they designing themselves into a corner, but they're trying to sell a system that already exists uh, and isn't being used in a completely unique way, right? I mean, StarMate already had randomly generated planets well before No Man's Sky was even talked about, okay? It didn't look as good, but, but it was still there. This, this is not a new concept, uh, Minecraft is randomly generated. Fucking Age of Empires 2, most RTS maps are randomly generated based on a seed, okay? This is not new tech. So it really bothered me, first of all, that they were marketing it like that, but that's what marketing is. So I guess I can't get too mad. Um, and so they were, they, were, they were sort of, you know, hyping the game up like this. And I think this was partly the fault of, of you know what amounts to game journalism at this point, which is to say, not much, right? Uh, for all the talk of, of, of how Gamergate was an attempt to tackle, uh, you know, corruption in game journalism, which, by the way, is like, why is that what you're going after with regard to corruption? Um, you know, they didn't really do a good job of making sure that the game journalists took their jobs seriously. Um, and, 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 you know, viral pages like Lad Bible and uh, Gameology just, just hyped the hell out of that game. But anyway, I'm off on, I'm off on a tangent. That's going to happen a lot, by the way. Um, they, they designed a concept of, like, just looking, th- like, just flying through this massive galaxy without any thought to, okay, but is it going to look unique enough for me to care about every star? Because if I don't, what is the point? And that's what, that's, that's what ended up happening, is, you know, I, I flew to about four different star systems, I checked out each of the planets, they looked amazing, they weren't particularly large, but they looked awesome. Oh, excuse me. And... After that, it was kind of like, okay, well, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. I'm seeing all of the exact same set pieces. Um, you know, there's there's almost no, there's there's no unique, there's no uniqueness to this. Um, and after about, yeah, I think it would be after about three star systems. I had basically seen all there was to see in the game. So it sort of it sort of raises the question of what's what's the point? What was the point of a universe that large, of a galaxy that large, if after I see three star systems, I've seen everything there is to see? What's the reason behind this? 
and especially when it was released with as few features as it was released with. So if you think about it from a player perspective, once you've seen everything that's unique and different, everything else after that has to offer something new. So I guess a good example of this as well would be Daggerfall. Uh, well, I'm okay, I'm watching a friend of mine play Daggerfall Unity on Twitch. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Upsilon Crux, by the way. Um, little shout out to Derek there. And, uh, you know, the reason that that map can be that big is because all of the towns are made out of all of the same pieces. It's like you have the same box of Legos and you have to make a whole world out of it. Okay, well, the first three that you make might be cool, but after that, you, you have to reuse concepts. So what are you going to put into that that's going to get people going back to it? And with interest and not make it feel like a grind. Because they put in all of these little mini-missions... They put these like little side quests at the space stations in these star systems that force you to go down to the planet, but you don't want to be there. You don't care. You don't give a shit. You're there to get your shit and get out. That's like that's not good design. So a lot of a lot of design problems for games like No Man's Sky start with a faulty premise of people will want to be in a universe this large. And and in fairness, you know, a lot of people enjoy the game. I'm not shitting on them. I just don't think that it's good design to say, oh, this can be big even if all of these pieces are very bland. Like, no, I would rather have a smaller universe. I would rather have a smaller galaxy to, to traverse with as many unique pieces as possible rather than a limitless, a, a limitless uh, galaxy or nearly limitless galaxy with all these reused pieces so that after the fifth planet I've seen all I can see. You know? I, I, I don't know. That's just me. It, it really bothered me. And so you, you see that loftiness in a lot of, of indie developers and indie projects because the concept of video games sort of demands this high... Um, high aspirational thinking where you're like I want to create this massive galaxy with no end to it you can go to all of these you can go to every single planet but then when programmers and artists come in they're like okay well we can't program every single planet you know and if we only program certain ones then the rest of them are going to suffer in quality and it's going to feel uneven. So what do we do about that? And of course the solution is C generation. And of course that results in the, the fact that they all look basically the same. The game is just too large for it to, to matter. You look at Minecraft and the structure of areas is different, but the biomes are obviously the same. Like you never have brand new biomes based on the seed. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to get that one seed uh, that has a biome that only exists in that map, and you couldn't find it in any other seed. That's not how it works. But because Minecraft doesn't take such a massive view of scale, and it keeps the scale restricted to you being on the ground, it doesn't matter as much because you only have so much in sight at once. And so what really matters there and what Peak's visual interest is uh, is the shapes and the forms of these biomes um, and what you can do with them. And because you interact so directly with the environment on a block-by-block -block basis, then 
you know, there might be areas where you've got two, two mountains that come up close together and you're like, I am building a house that is suspended between those two mountains. That's not something you can do in No Man's Sky. So seed generation there is kind of like, it's just, it's just sort of solidifying the fact that the game is going to be watered down. Um, sorry, hold on one second. All right, sorry about that. Uh, what, what the hell was I talking about? Something about No Man's Sky being not good, I think. I don't know. I just think that the, that so many developers have goals that are so much larger than either their technology is capable of achieving or the goal is, is artificially large in order, like, for the sole purpose of being able to market it. Now, No Man's Sky has apparently improved drastically since then. I wouldn't know. I haven't played it for any extended period of time since uh, the initial first, like, two or three hours, where I was like, okay, I've seen everything I have to see. Um, so, you know, that's that's what I think I'm going to... That's, that's what I'm looking forward to the most about doing this podcast, is being able to play, you know, finding a, a solid reason to branch out, play a bunch of new indie games... Because, uh, you know, as, as much of a gamer and as much as de- of a developer as I, I claim to be, I don't, I don't play nearly enough uh, indie titles. So I, I, I strongly want to change that. Um, you know, I, I think it's just hard. I'll, there's, there's so many indie games coming out now that are, are not art balanced enough. You look at a game like Hollow Knight, the art style on that is so gorgeous. Um, you look at other games that attempt to emulate sort of like retro visuals, but but do it in a way that doesn't feel authentic or modernized. Like uh, Hyperlight Drifter was all pixelated graphics, but god damn, that game looked gorgeous because its biggest strength was in its color palette. Um, but I see a lot of games that, that just, they're just loud. They're just noisy. Like, they don't have an art director. You don't have someone sitting there talking to the designer going, no, but that's too much in this screen space. That's too visually loud. Um, or you have teams that are attempting to go for a realistic look, but they don't have the appropriate team members, you know? Like, they don't have, they don't have people on their team that are making enough money or can dedicate the time to creating anything resembling a photorealistic game mesh. Like, they, like it's just not going to happen. You're not going to see an indie title that visually looks better than a AAA title of the same art style. Like, I don't think you're going to find that. Um, so, I think where indie games need to, need to find a place to, to sort of latch into is just throwing out the concept of trying to look good in a realistic sense because those games always age poorly like if you guys play games from like the 90s that tried to look real like dude look at it i, I see videos of this and this is the game that makes me think of it so much uh pro skater is it tony hawk's pro skater i never played it um i'm like a sacrilegious 90s kid because i never played it I think it was Pro Skater 2. That must have been it. Yeah, this is like the classic PlayStation game where you just played the same shit over and over again and it was good enough for for us anyway. 
Um, yeah, that's the one with the warehouse level, isn't it? The one that's like so famous that me, I, who have not played the game, knows about that level. It's one of the pro skaters. I don't remember which one it is. It's either Pro Skater or Pro Skater 2. Anyway, the point being that like you look at that game and that game was attempting to look real. Look at how the lighting is. Look at the textures. You can tell that they were trying to make that game look as real as possible. Okay, but they were also trying to make it run well, so you know, there's like there's like eight polygons on the skater at any one time, you know? It's not it looks like it was made in the Quake engine. Um like back when Quake first came out. I don't remember when the first Quake came out. This release date was the year 2000. Never soft. Ooh, they might have... I, I might have accidentally been right about the Quake engine. Hold on. Same engine as its predecessor, but which one was that? Which engine was that? Oh, shit. Now I gotta go look up the first one. Uh, For all versions, but which had more mixed reception. Don't care, don't care, don't care. Development. It's probably gonna be under development. What engine was this? This is totally not what I'm supposed to be talking about right now, but, but I gotta figure this out. <sighs> Underground 2. Okay. No, 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 no. That's what the fan game uses. What engine does this game use? like that that attempted to be realistic and you'll see how much they've aged look at the first tomb raider games they 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 have not dated well they're visually charming but only because we remember playing them as kids they don't look good they just don't there's no separation between the player character and the background because they're trying to fit as many pixels as they can into this game they're trying to make it look as real as possible and the problem with that is of course that as technology advances, the more technology advances, uh, the less realistic your game looks. So if you look at a game like Fortnite, where the objective of that game is not to look realistic, but to have a very defined art style, or Team Fortress 2, where it's meant to have this sort of flat art style, then that game's not going to age visually, because it's not trying to look real. It's just trying to look like what it is. Same will be true for games like Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight's never going to look bad because it's not trying to look real. It's trying to look like what it is. And so that game is never going to visually age. I don't think anyway. Who knows? In five years I might be doing a podcast. Hollow Knight just looks terrible now. Just I don't know what happened. Oh God. Hold on just a second here. Please send it in reply to all. Why can't... Okay. 
So anyway, yeah, that's what this podcast is going to be about. It's going to be shorter. I'm going to I'm going to try to keep this one to 30 minutes. Um, this is usually the point after I go on a, a rant about whatever game I'm talking about that week. Um, this is usually the point where I would want to be able to read some mail, like somebody's got questions or if they've got ideas or, or something. Uh, this is where I would read that, suggestions and stuff like that. And then just like, you know, getting opinions on whatever I've talked about before, like from the last week. I'd love to be able to have some participation from you guys. Um, so feel free to email me at jesse.humphrey at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter at Jesse Lee Humphrey. Uh, make sure you spell those right. and I'm not going to tell you how to spell them because that would defeat the point. I think. I don't know. J-E-S-S-E, no I, and H-U-M-P-H-R-Y, no E. So just make sure that you spell those right. Otherwise, you're not going to get a hold of me. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this podcast. i got to find a way to keep doing it regularly uh, and trying to get some sort of order and organization on this. I think what I want to do is stream the game I'm going to talk about the week before I talk about it and then talk about that game on the podcast because then it'll be fresh in my mind that's the game I've been playing do you know what I mean? I think that's probably the best way to go about it I'm just kind of concerned about that because then if you're watching the stream you've got no reason to listen to the podcast you're probably not going to hear anything new because over the course of that week I've probably said everything I'm going to say on the podcast so I don't know. We'll just we'll just see how how it how it comes out and and uh, what the results will be. Uh, but yeah, I I'm looking forward to doing this, and I hope that you guys are gonna stick around for the ride for at least a little bit. Um, and like I said, feel free to send me messages on, on Twitter or by email, or if you have me on Discord by chance, um, a Discord message will do just as well. Or jump into stream, uh, Twitch.tv/slash Jesse Lee Humphrey. Uh, and just, you know, chat with me and stream and, and, and uh, you know, talk about stuff that way as well. So thanks for jumping into this first episode. Hopefully that was a decent little preview of what I plan on doing for these. And we will see you guys next week where we will be talking about uh, The Witness in a lot more detail. So uh, see you guys next time. Thank you so much.